Hello everyone, before we get into this episode, understand that this is a two-part episode. We are going to be discussing Dark Matter and Dark Energy, as you can probably see by the title of the actual episode. But there will be two parts to this episode, because Dark Matter and Dark Energy are simply too large of topics to put in one single episode. And considering they're both equally mysterious, it is important... Well, actually, I would say Dark Energy is more mysterious... Even so, I think it is important that we keep them in the same, I guess, batch of episodes, in the same chapter. So, I kept them in the same chapter, but obviously we needed two episodes, because I'm not making a two-hour long episode. Uh, it's not going to be two hours long, but even so, I'm not going to make an hour, 20-minute long episode, because that's how long it would be, probably. I mean, I don't know how long these episodes are going to be, but that's what I'm assuming they probably will end up being. So we need to make sure that doesn't happen because <laughs> an hour, 20 minute long podcast, I I'm not really, a, I'm just not that kind of person. Definitely not. Um, but anyways, we are going to be talking about Dark Matter and Dark Energy today, so welcome to it. It is an undeniable fact that the universe is expanding. Based upon the redshifting of distant galaxies and the uniformity of this redshifting throughout regions of the universe holding similar distances to Earth, or from Earth, we can we can conclude, we can reasonably conclude that the universe is, in fact, expanding. For a redshift indicates that an object is moving away from us. So if you want to get more information on this, see episode 31. The redshifting is more profound farther away from Earth, indicating a cosmic expansion hierarchy, as I like to call it. Current models suggest that the rate of cosmological expansion in the universe is believed to be 73.3 kilometers per second per megaparsec which 1 million parsecs is about 3.26 light years, although this figure is highly disputed, and of course different, different attempts at measuring it provide wildly different results. And when I mean wildly, it's like 4 kilometers, but still that's like 5.4%, so that is a lot. But anyways, one question that is frequently asked by physicists has been this question. Why? Why is the universe expanding? Or how is the universe expanding? What is the mechanism behind cosmological expansion? This mechanism has stunned physicists for decades, but as the light is revealed upon a very dark illusion phenomenon, the dynamics of an expanding and increasingly proliferative universe are dawning upon us. In this chapter, the concepts of dark matter and dark energy and their effects upon the expansion of the universe specifically the dark energy's effects upon the universe will be discussed. As dark matter and dark energy are separate entities, they have separate histories, of course. Dark matter's history arises from Lord Kelvin and Henry Poincaré, whereas dark energy's history arises from Einstein's failures. He failed not often, but it happened. And the also the first hypothesized energy obscure, uh, that's... That's French. I've been trying to teach myself French. Not really good at it, but I've been trying to. Dark Matter's history begins with Lord Kelvin, the lord or founder of Kelvin. The scientific temperature system in which zero Kelvin is absolute zero. We should probably know what Kelvin is. Lord Kelvin in 1884 estimated the number of dark bodies in the Milky Way by observing the velocity dispersion of stars orbiting about the galactic center. So essentially, the dark bodies through the gravitational force would slightly alter the velocity of an object as it rotates about the galactic center. And he discovered that the mass of the dark bodies was different than the mass of all the visible stars in the galaxy, implying an underlying mass in the universe. The first person to label the dark bodies as dark matter was Henry 
Poincari, who called it Matière Obscure, I think. I think it's like Matière Obscure. Uh, I'm not completely sure, which is obviously dark matter in English or in French. That's obviously dark matter, but in French. In 1933, Swiss physicist Fritz Zwicky, Zwicky was studying the coma cluster, and through the Virial theorem, it's a theorem in physics, he determined the kinetic energy of the galaxies on the outside of the cluster, and when determining the velocity of the galaxies, he determined that the mass of the galaxy cluster was far higher based upon the velocity of the outer galaxies than an estimate, an estimate based upon its relative luminosity, distance, and number of galaxies. The Virial theorem essentially states that in a body... I guess a body of mass with many objects, or a body of mass, essentially, uh, the the kinetic energy of that, the open object field, the region of mass, is equal to negative one-half times uh, the gravitational potential energy of that particular re region, I guess. Something like that. That's what the Virial Theorem is, because I know it's a very... I, I'm not just going to give you guys some random theorem without explaining it, because, of course, it's important that we explain the Virial theorem. Now, Zwicky estimated that the amount of dark matter in the galaxy cluster, uh, the coma cluster, would be 400 times greater than the matter that is visible in the cluster. And even though this particular estimate was very, very far off, it did indicate that a majority of the matter in the cluster was dark matter. The substantiation of dark matter as an essential principle in cosmology was first established in the 1970s after physicists Vera Rubin, Kent Ford, and Ken Freeman measured the galaxy rotation curves of various galaxies and concluded that dark matter was six times as abundant as visible matter in galaxies. It is close to that right now. From what I remember, it is very, very close to that. Their experience featured galaxy rotation curves, which is a curve of the velocity of particular points based upon their distances from the galactic center. As it curves with the solar system, one may expect the rotation curve to decrease as the distance from the galactic center increases. For we know through the relative motion of the planets in the solar system that distance and velocity hold an inverse relationship. In galaxies, though, this does not occur. The expected curve would hold decreasing values as in distance increases, except the velocities of objects and the relative distances of the objects from the galactic center hold not an inverse relationship, but rather a direct relationship. As distance increases, so does the relative velocities of these objects, which is very weird because think of the solar system. I mean, we said something like this, like in the solar system, for example, Venus rotates about the sun much faster than Jupiter does far faster. Now you would expect a similar thing to happen with a galaxy, like the Milky Way, but the problem is the things on the outside are rotating far faster than the things rotating about the central core on the inside. Now that is spectacular because what it indicates to us is that there is another gravitational object, another object of mass or another set of object of masses that are basically interacting with that matter and forcing it to travel at higher velocities. <clears throat> These experiments were determined to be of enough accuracy to establish the existence of dark matter as a fundamental platform in cosmology, although the mechanisms and specifically the particles behind this mysterious matter were completely unknown, and they remain pretty close to completely unknown today. 
Albert Einstein first proposed the cosmological constant. We're getting into dark energy now. A constant, this was the cosmological constant, which was a constant represented by the Greek letter lambda, the Greek letter lambda, that characterizes the energy density of space, basically to allow for the notion of a static universe. When Einstein came up with the constant, cosmological expansion was literally, virtually, but literally unknown. Thus, the cosmological constant arose in an attempt to maintain what was believed to be an unmoving and unchanging universe. Even though Albert Einstein is widely regarded as the greatest phys physicist in modern physics, his attempted fine-tuning had significant problems. First off, the static universe Einstein created through the cosmological constant was unstable. What are referred to as local in inhomogeneities, because I don't... Or inhomogeneities. In, in I always call it homogeneous, so I, I generally mess that up, but yeah. Uh, or localized, these are local in homogeneities. They are basically localized regions that hold different energy densities. I mean, this is that you can see like they're local inhomogeneities or inhomogeneities in the cosmic microwave background. We'll get to that. The anisotropy of the, the anisotropy of the cosmic microwave background and among many other things, of course. But this basically created these local inhomogeneities or inhomogeneities. Uh, which are, of course, localized regions holding different energy densities, but the problem is they caused either a rapid expansion or contraction of this universe. So his cosmological constant didn't do anything to create a static universe. It just basically created positive feedback loops going one after another. And in a way, we are living in that universe right now, and you'll see that. But basically, the inhomogeneities inevitably cause small variations that slightly expand or contract the universe, which basically releases vacuum energy, accelerating the expansion and subsequently establishing a positive feedback loop akin to the runaway greenhouse effect currently occurring upon Earth. Furthermore, the universe would later be revealed to be expanding, completely defeating the point for a cosmological constant to define a static universe in Einstein's field equations, thus the original intent of the cosmological constant was abandoned. Although... I can give you a hint right now, the cosmological constant still exists and still is very important. For cosmologi cosmologists use it to attempt to explain the acceleration of the expansion of the universe. And we will get into that once we get into dark energy, and specifically what may dark energy be composed of, what dark energy may actually be. Stuff associated with the cosmological constant and associated with dark energy would not reappear until... 1980, when physicists Alan Guth or Alan Guth and Alexei Starobinsky proposed the historical existence of a negative pressure field, akin to dark energy, which would have driven cos rapid cosmic inflation in the early, early universe. This is cosmic inflation theory. We will get into that in the next part of this. Early cosmic early cosmic inflation is believed to have occurred as a result of repulsive entities, and as will and as will be seen later in the chapter or in the episode, this repulsive entity is somewhat similar to dark energy. This proposition caused the reappearance of dark energy in mainstream physics, and even though it was revealed that any cosmic inflation must have ceased within a fraction of a second after the Big Bang, and that there is no fully understood uh, connection between dark energy and cosmic inflation, dark energy began to encapsulate subsequent experiments in cosmology. Rightfully so, and very good that it did, because we would not understand the universe in the way that we do now if it weren't for that 
subsequent discovery, that subsequent work with the dark energy and with this potential negative pressure field, this historical negative pressure field. All cosmic inflation models pointed to a required mass energy density that was close but not at the critical density. The critical density is the density required for a static universe, or for the universe to exist in its current state, without changing. The hypothesized balance of the mass in the universe was 95% cold to 5% visible. So basically 19 cold dark units for every visible unit. And this hypothesized balance did create proportional cosmological environments in very various models. But there was a significant problem that arose with the Hubble constant. The models pointed to a universe with a slower, much slower than observed rate of expansion. Another problem that, that arose was this discovery of the inhomogeneity, I keep seeing that word, of the cosmic microwave background. After the COBE, or the COBE, I like to call it COBE, spacecraft, spacecraft discovered slight, and I cannot even underestimate, like you cannot underestimate the word slight, like it's one, it's literally a level of one in 300,000 difference. That's that is the density difference of the cosmic microwave background. It appears to be di such different colors. You have like a really, really dark blue, and then you get all the way to the orange and the red in that universal cosmic microwave background. But seriously, those local inhomogeneities are not major. They're not, they're, there's no difference. There is a very, very slight different difference. But they noticed these slight local, what are known as anisotropies or anisotropies, in the remnant background electromagnetic ra radiation from the moment at which the universe became transparent enough for light to radiate through. The discovery of an inhomogeneous, I'm aware that it is pronounced homogeneous, inhomogeneous uh, is what I was planning on saying, but I, I really like to call it homogeneous. It just sounds better, but the the discovery of this inhomogeneous energy density of this particular electromagnetic radiation made the homogeneity of current perceived models irrelevant and thus new hypothesized energy specifically dark energy would be necessary dark energy was first observed in the accelerated expansion occurring during a supernova event in what we discovered to be accelerating expansion in during a supernova event in 1998, which established the Lambda CDM model, a model with three parameters of cosmological expansion, cold dark matter and visible uh, matter, with the, with the three parameters of cosmological expansion, uh, cold dark matter and visible matter, it's basically a model of the universe as the leading model of the universe. So essentially, at this point, this established Lambda CDM as a very, very important model. And of course, I lay, left a link down in the description to explain it in more detail. It's a very, very interesting theory, no question. Subsequently, the exceptional difference between the CMB measurements, or cosmic microwave background measurements, of the mass energy density of the universe, where the density was revealed to be 100% of the crit critical density, and the 2DF galaxy redshift survey measurements of the same density where the density was revealed to be 30% indicates a significant existence of dark energy in the universe. At this point, dark energy too was cemented as an essential parameter in the contemporary universe. Now, before we are starting at dark matter, I know this is a very weird, I guess in a way it's a weird transition because we started with dark matter in the history, but we're going to start with dark matter first. This time in the next episode, we'll be talking about dark energy. 
Standard cosmology defines matter as any object whose energy is equivalent to the inverse cube of the scale factor. The scale factor is a dimensionless parameter of the Friedman equations, which model the expansion of the universe. Dark matter in cosmology is essentially defined as any dark, as a not visible, object that obeys this inverse cube of the scale factor requirement for cosmological matter. The composition of dark matter is heavily disputed. While dark matter, by definition, need not be composed of any exotic or currently unknown particles, for dark matter is simply defined as an object that exerts a gravitational pull, but is not directly visible to humans, even so, most cosmologists consider dark matter to be composed of unknown, non-baryonic matter. So basically matter without baryons or stuff like protons and neutrons. So three quark, three particle, like a triple composite particle. So like it's like three particles to make up a composite particle. That's essentially what a baryon is. Now this likely means that they're going to be either new particles or exotic states. An exotic state could be like supersymmetry. I mean, it's not necessarily an exotic state, but it's a different state. There are a number of reasons pertaining to why dark matter is likely not mainly composed of non-supersymmetric baryonic matter and pertaining to other potential candidate particles, all of which will be examined below. We don't have enough evidence. We actually have a lot of evidence against the existence of baryonic cold dark matter. It, it, it is very, it seems unlikely, let's just say it that way. There are multiple lines of evidence that directly support the non-baryonic dark matter hypothesis. First off, baryonic gas and dust would be visible when backlit by surrounding luminous objects. That's, like, that is the most common sense thing there is. Like, that is what would happen, and it isn't. The dark matter is not illuminated. It's not. Additionally, dark matter composed of baryons would, through the theory of Big Bang nucleosynthesis, indicate a higher proportion of heavier elements, like helium and lithium, for example, than is observed. For the higher abundance of baryons in the early universe gives room for the creation of more nuclei. Current models require that baryonic matter comprises 4-5% of the universe's critical density, except most general observations as of yet have proven the overall matter density of the universe to be around 30% of the critical density indicating that a majority of matter, which for the most part is dark, is non-baryonic. Objects holding baryonic matter include the stars and the planets, but also include less common and hard to detect objects, known as machos, which are also known as massive compact halo objects, that's just acronym, macho, 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 I'm gonna call it macho, which include objects like non-primordial black dwarf, black holes, fading white dwarfs, neutron stars, and brown dwarfs or failed stars. Astronomers searching for gravitational microlensing, an astronomical phenomenon that occurs due to the gravitational lens effect or bending of light as it enters and passes a gravitational field, found that only an insignificant amount of the dark matter exists in such machos. Now, this indicates that it, again, is likely not baryonic matter. Also, measurements of the anisotropies or anisotropies of the cosmic microwave background indicated that 5 6 of the matter in the universe interacts with matter and light only through gravitational effects, meaning that it is cut off from the other effects in a way that baryonic matter, that baryonic matter is not. Baryonic matter interacts with other matter through a variety of different effects, but this dark matter interacts with, only, with other matter and light only through the gravitational force. So... Quarks interact through the strong force, through the weak force, through the gravitational force. 
but dark matter doesn't seem to interact through anything other than the gravitational force. So because of this significant amount of evidence that proves the non-existence of baryonic dark matter, we come to the point at which we have to figure out what dark matter is made out of. What is it? We know it not yet. So as it is likely composed of a currently unknown particle, there are of course many candidates particles for dark matter, most of which, all of which, every single one of which has yet to be observed. The first particle on the great list of candidates is the axion, which is an elementary particle created in an attempt to resolve the strong CP problem in quantum chromodynamics. See, see the episode on quantum chromodynamics for a little bit more detail on this, because we talked about, we definitely discussed axions a little bit at that time. They have yet to be observed, but are believed to exist. And if they are discovered to have a mass within physicists' specified range, then they may be found to be a component of dark matter. They are currently technically the leading, but that is leading for dark matter, there's no such thing. There is no such thing. I mean, technically, it also could be supersymmetry, but even so, there is no such thing. There is absolutely no such thing as leading, as leading hypothesized matter, because none of them have been observed yet. Oh, basically, the only requirement is that, I mean, there are way more requirements than that, but I'm just going to be like, General, it has to work. It has to work with general relativity. It has to work with our physics. It has to be applicable to general relativity, essentially. Another candidate particle is a sterile neutrino, a type of lepton that interacts with other particles through only gravity, but not through the standard model forces. So like the strong force, electromagnetic force, and weak force, because they do not include the gravitational force in the standard model. A neutrino is defined as a lepton that is electrically neutral and rarely interacts with norm normal matter. It normally only, only interacts with other matter via the gravitational and the weak nuclear force. A sterile neutrino does not interact with other matter, matter via the weak force, but rather only through the gravitational force. Because sterile neutrinos react so rarely with other matter, matter, they are candidates for the majority of dark matter. Like all other candidate particles for dark matter, sterile neutrinos have yet to be observed, as of yet. Another one, the WIMP, pun intending, intended, I hope it's intended because I would assume that it would be, or the weakly interacting massive particle is a candidate particle for dark matter that does interact via both gravity and other forces as long as the forces are weak and or weaker than the weak nuclear force. So this is essentially saying that it's either the gravity or something we don't know exists yet. The WIMP miracle refers to the miracle that a supersymmetric extension to the standard model would require a particle with WIMP-like properties. However, no observational evidence exists for both the WIMP and supersymmetry. The GIMP, or the gravitationally interacting massive particle, is somewhat synonymous, but not really, with the WIMP, except it merely interacts through the gravitational force, but not any other forces that are as weak or weaker than the weak force. The GIMP is also based upon Einstein's general relativity, where GIMP's composing dark matter establishes dark matter as a form of dark energy filled with singularities. This is an example, an example of this is entangled dark energy. Look it up. It's in the bibliography. We have we have gimps in the bibliography. Just go into the dark matter one. That's a very interesting topic, certainly. A super, a super symmetric extension to the standard model, this is probably the leading theory technically, is a candidate for dark matter. For supersymmetric particles are not very interactive and are highly stable. 
However, while a supersymmetric extension to the standard model is mathematically adequate, supersymmetry has yet to be observed, despite numerous attempted observations of various superpartners. As a result, supersymmetry too remains a hypothetical candidate particle. Other candidates include geons, or geons, it's definitely geons, gravitational or electromagnetic waves that are held together by their own field energy, that's what a geon is, and primordial black holes, which are black holes that formed soon after the Big Bang. Primordial black holes and geons too have yet to be observed, and because there is no defined theory of quantum gravity, geons' existences and properties are unobservable and unfalsifiable. So, that's not science, basically. That's basically when you get to the not science. As dark matter is six times more abundant than visible matter, it is believed that dark matter exists everywhere. If dark matter is composed of subatomic or elementary particles, it is assumed that millions or even billions of dark matter particles should pass through every square centimeter of Earth at any given time. The most frequent attempted observations occur in attempts to observe WIMPs and axions, two prime candidates for the dark matter phenomenon. Experiments attempting to directly observe dark matter particles, also known as direct detection experiments, aim to observe the recoil of an atomic nucleus that undergoes interactions with particles of dark matter. What is expected is that the recoil in the nucleus will emit energy through scintillation light, a flash of light that occurs in a transparent material when a particle passes through it, or through phonons, which are small excitations of condensed matter that are thought of as particle sound waves, akin to photons as particle light waves. Because of the threat of cosmic rays on the experiments, experiments that attempt to find dark matter occur exclusively deep underground. For some background, cosmic rays are not photons, but rather are massive particles that move through space near, but of course not at, the speed of light. Cosmic rays originate essentially from anywhere. They can propagate from the sun, the Milky Way, or anywhere else in the universe. Not a single direct detection experiment has observed any dark matter, and all observational evidence for dark matter remains completely indirect. Now, indirect detection of dark matter particles is specific to what happens in the vacuum. Now, we haven't even technically had any indirect observations of the particles themselves, but we've had indirect observations of the matter acting upon other things. Now... Unlike direct detection experiments, where defined experiments are conducted under ultra-specific conditions, indirect detection experiments deal specifically with the observations that occur under events that are believed to showcase the existence of dark matter particles. In regions in which there exists significant densities of dark matter, two dark matter, matter particles, particle-antiparticle collision, could annihilate each other, subsequently producing gamma rays or particle-antiparticle pairs, and that's a meson. The process could theoretically be observed by measuring gamma-ray emission discrepancies or an excess of positrons, or anti-electrons, and antiprotons, which are two up antiquarks and one down antiquark. It's just a different... It's basically the antiproton, that's exactly what it's called, in the core of the Milky Way, and, of course, other galaxies. Unfortunately, other astronomical phenomena produce the same observed particles, thus any indirect detection of dark matter particles would need independent verification through other signals. Another theoretical indirect observation which strongly points toward WIMPs is through high-energy neutrino signals that occur when some of the dark matter particles pass through Earth or the Sun, scatter some of their, uh, some of their atoms, which ends up keeping, causing them to lose energy. 
The last theoretical indirect observation deals with gravitational waves. Disturbances in space-time are, that's what a gravitational wave is. They're basically disturbances in space-time that result from accelerated masses. In 2015, LIGO, or the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, detected gravitational waves, potentially opening up indirect observation of dark matter particles through waves. Remember that dark matter's effects are most profound through gravity. Such an, such an observation may potentially support primordial black holes as a constituent of cold dark matter. Dark matter can be defined and divided into two different categories. There's cold dark matter and hot dark matter. The classifications have absolutely nothing to do with heat, but rather with velocity, for physicists love to be confusing. Cold dark matter is a form of dark matter that travels at a slow speed in comparison to the speed of light. Cold dark matter theory explains that cold dark matter occurs when small objects collapse under their own gravity, later merging with other objects to form a hierarchy of larger, progressively more massive objects. As cold dark matter is massive, it does not travel at speeds that, as we will see, hot dark matter travels at. Hot dark matter in simple terms is a form of dark matter that travels at velocities approaching the speed of light, which is also known as rel ultra-relativistic velocity. Hot dark matter is believed to be believed to travel significantly faster than cold dark matter because it is composed of less massive particles that are more able to travel at faster speeds. Now, as I said at the beginning of the episode, this chapter will be divided, or this episode will be divided into two parts. The two parts are not distinct and do not exist on their own. For significant amounts of dark energy were discussed in this part, and even though the main episode on dark energy is technically the ne next episode. Anyway, thank you all for listening, and as always, have a good morning, afternoon, evening, and night. If you wish to support the podcast, please click the link in the podcast description and send a donation my way. As I have a PhD to work toward in only a few years, it is imperative that I find a way to pay for it. I, I am going to get a job. I already do investing. Like I I'm going for it, but any, any cent helps. But anyway, take care and stay curious.